maybe today and let her eat some ice chips and uh, sip on some water. So pray for Miss Brenda and then Brother Bill Harrison uh, recovering from his hip surgery and then Miss Anna uh, with the surgery that she had uh, last week. And then I know the Arms family has some sickness in it and Miss Catherine Hammock. So just some different stuff going on. So it says we're a family and when one has a burden, you know, we need to pray and remember them. So there's some requests you can remember today and then uh, remember Miss April. She'll have to be traveling uh, to Virginia, so Virginia soon. Uh, they've got some big stuff going on there, uh, one of her daughters and different things. So let's pray for safety of travel for her and uh, some things that uh, the Lord knows. And so just want you to, to lift her up. If you did not know it, if you did not know that the Western world was in trouble, you knew it in 1996. Or at least that's when I first realized it. I was 16 years old in 1996. And in 1996, I realized that all that the preachers had taught me as a youth was true. That America and the Western world was in big trouble. I knew it in 1996 because that was the year that a new group from England called the Spice Girls released one of the most annoying songs ever known to humanity. The name of the song was Wannabe, and it started like this, all right? It started like this, and you will see just how annoying it was. Ha, 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 yo, I'll tell you what I want, what I really, really want, so tell me what you want, what you really, really want. I'll tell you what I want, what I really, really want, so tell me what you want, what you really want. I want a ha, I want a ha, I want a ha, I want a ha, I want a really, really, really want a zigzag, ah, if that's annoying, say amen. That is so annoying. And then I found out yesterday as I was going over my notes that my wife, as she, as she put it, I didn't buy the CD, but I would sing it every time it came on. The rest of the song is just as annoying as the beginning. There was only one problem in 1996. Lots and lots of people hated that song, but just as many people seemed to love that song. It was played at ball games constantly. It was played in department stores. It was played on the radio. And even if you despised the song, if you weren't careful, in 1996, you might have found yourself in conversation looking at somebody saying, I'll tell you what I, what I really, really want. This morning I don't know what all of you really, really want out of life. I don't know. I, I don't know this morning what it is as you begin this new week, I don't know what it is that you necessarily really, really want out of life. But I do know. I do know today what you really, really need. I know what I need. I know what we need as a church. And I know what you need. What you need, what I need, what we need is to find out what God wants. That's what you really need know what you really want what you really need today is to find out what God wants and God wants you that's the great news God wants you today to know what it is that God wants for you for your relationships for your marriage for your future God knows what you need and God knows what he wants for you and God wants you to know what he wants so if you Continue in the days ahead to just pursue what you want. It won't be long until you find big trouble. In fact, some of you are here today. Your marriage is in trouble. 
Your personal life is in trouble. Your finances are in trouble. Your spiritual being, your eternal spark, as we might put it, is in big trouble because you have pursued what you want and not what God wants. Turn with me to Acts chapter 11 this morning there in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the, books of, the book of Acts, Acts chapter 11, uh, which we've been preaching through and which shows us how the church was birthed and how believers are empowered to do the uh, work that God has for them. Go to Acts chapter 11. And before Easter, we saw the great event when the good news came to the Gentiles, uh, to those that are not Jews, folks like you and I. We saw how uh, Jesus' followers went from uh, just Jews there in Jerusalem and it began to expand out. The book of Acts shows us. And, and we saw the other week how it goes from uh, just Jews and it jumps clearly into the world of Gentiles that God is saving not just the chosen people of Israel now, but God is delivering all people. And it was quite a miracle we saw the other week. And so chapter 11 is really nice because it's going to rehearse for us what we saw and then it's going to give us some new information. So remember, it's Peter that went to the house of Cornelius. And there it became evident, the Holy Spirit fell on those Gentiles, that uh, the message of Jesus was spreading. And remember that that was a big step for a Jew like uh, Peter to go into a house of a Gentile because they would have been considered un unclean, not part of the family of God. So that was a big thing, all right? Look at chapter 11, verse 1. The apostles and the brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter was come up, he goes back to Jerusalem. They that were of the circumcision, those Jewish believers, contended with him. A little strong word here. They contend with him over what has happened. And uh, we get it kind of summed up. What was the heartbeat of their argument? What is it they're concerned about? Verse 3, they said, you went in to men uncircumcised, and did eat with them. But Peter rehearsed the matter from the beginning. He expounded or he explained by order unto them. And he said, I was in the city of Joppa praying. I was just doing what I needed to do. I was praying to the Lord, uh, just there praying, and, and then went into a trance and I saw visions. There was a certain vessel that descended, descended uh, coming out of heaven as if it was a great sheet let down from heaven by four corners. So this great sheet is lowered from heaven came even to me and upon it what did he see upon it uh, which I had when I fastened my eyes I considered and I saw four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air he saw things that if you've read the Old Testament uh, to the Jews would have been forbidden to eat but he says verse 7 I heard a voice saying unto me arise Peter slay and eat kill kill and eat the food but I said not so Lord for nothing common or unclean is at any time entered into my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven. And what did that voice say? What God has cleansed, that call, now don't you call that a common or unclean. Don't do that. And this was done three times. This vision, uh, this, this uh, command from God occurs three times. And then all were drawn up again into heaven. So he has this vision. And behold, verse 11, immediately, right after he has the vision, just like that, there were three men that had already come into the house where I was. They'd been sent from Caesarea unto me. And the Spirit 
obeyed me. The Spirit commanded me to go with them and do what? Nothing doubt. Don't doubt. The Spirit commanded me to go, to have faith, to not doubt, and just go with them. Don't doubt anything about this. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered into this man's house. We know this man Cornelius from what we read the other day. And what happened? Well, he showed us, Cornelius showed us how he had seen an angel, a messenger from God in his house, which stood and said unto him, Send men to Joppa, and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter. Peter, who shall tell you words, he's going to explain to you, he's going to give you words, uh, he'll speak these words, whereby you and all your house shall be saved. And as I began to speak, Peter begins to explain to them, how they can be saved, and they were ready to be saved, the Holy Ghost fell on them, as on us at the beginning. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, the word of Jesus, how that he had said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Two more verses. For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us, I preached the gospel, they believed the Holy Ghost, now lives and empowers them. He says, hey, listen, verse 17, as much then as God gave them the like or the same gift as he did unto us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, God gave that to them. So what was I or who am I that I could or should withstand God? What a great verse. This should be one of the heartbeat verses of our life and the heartbeat verse of our church. Who are we that we can withstand God, that we can Uh, not get on board with what God is doing. Who am I? What was I that I could withstand God? When they, the believers in Jerusalem that had been contending with him, that were pushing back against what had happened, when they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God and said, then has God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life? What was I that I could withstand God. You know, sometimes we Christians, and I know most of this room is are followers of Jesus, and then there are a few here with us today that you're not followers of Jesus. You've not confessed Him as Lord, but you're with us. Let me, let, let me say this to the believers in our midst today. Sometimes we Christians can really blow it. We just miss the point. We just get it wrong. Christians in Jerusalem. Christians in Jerusalem have heard that Gentiles have been changed. uh, That they have entered into fellowship with other believers, Jewish believers. And that's pretty awesome, right? I mean, if if you're glad today that folks like me and you can get saved, if you're glad you got saved, say amen. That's awesome. We should celebrate that. Boy, we have a baptism. When we, somebody makes a public testimony through the uh, showing that they have died to sin and risen to life. When they, when they do that in baptism, a public sign that they have been saved, that they have been changed, boy, it's, it's exciting. We have a baptism. It's exciting when somebody comes forward or during the week asks Jesus to come in and to change them and they give their life to Him. Those are exciting times and we should celebrate that and it's right to do so. Because God, listen, God has paid the full Christ for the redemption of men and women. And so when Peter goes back to Jerusalem to share this great news that salvation is for the Gentiles as well, you might expect the response to be, praise the Lord, hallelujah. You might expect for the Holy Spirit to move in their midst in a a mighty way as they find out that uh, God's kingdom is expanding. 
But that's not the first response. That's not the first response of these believers in Jerusalem, apparently. These Jesus followers, instead of first responding with praise that sinners are being saved, they start with questions. Questions that imply, Peter, what's wrong with you? How could you eat with Gentiles? Gentiles are disgusting. Gentiles do not keep the law of Moses. They're different from us. They have a different tradition, a different uh, background, a different uh, national history, a different ethnic history. How could you eat with these Gentiles? Now, here's the great thing about God. This is, a, this is really a marvelous thing about God. God knew. God knew that when Cornelius and his household got saved, he knew that there would be a backlash. So God revealed himself in a very special way, in a powerful way. God sent Cornelius, that angel, uh, to assure him. Then God sent Peter a threefold sign that both encouraged him to go do what he needed to do, but as we see from this testimony, also encouraged him when the backlash occurred to remain firm in what he knew that God was doing. So God knew, God knew this backlash would occur. God knew that these believers, instead of rejoicing first and then asking questions, that they would ask their questions uh, before they would have the faith to believe God had done this. Was it wrong for Jerusalem Jews to have questions about what happened? I don't think so. I don't think the problem is having questions. The problem is the priority. It's not wrong to wonder, what is happening here? What is God doing? Things are changing before our very eyes. What does this mean for us? It's not wrong for the Jewish believers to ask this. But first things first. And the first thing is to rejoice and recognize what God wants and what God is doing. And then we ask our questions about how do I become a part of this? What does this mean for my life? What needs to change about me? What might need to stay the same? But we start with what does God want and what is God doing? And the first thing that God is doing is he is saving souls from all the lands of the earth. The first thing is to rejoice in what God has done, that he has saved the Gentiles. Then from that vantage point, then ask the questions, then try to understand. Too often God is doing something. God is up to something. Too often God wants to do something in your life, in the life of our church, in the life of this community. God is up to something. If you believe God still moves, say amen. I believe that. And if we're not careful, instead of identifying in our family, in our personal lives, in our relationships, in our church, instead of first saying, God, what are you doing? And how do we need to change to be a part of that? We raise our questions. We can't do that. I can't do that. Uh, no, no, no. That can't. That's wrong. First, we find out what does God want. Then, then we ask him, all right, Lord, help me to understand Help me to be a part. So is it wrong that Jews have questions? No. In fact, a lot of the New Testament is practical advice where they're dealing with these questions of how do we live together now that Jew and Gentiles have come together? How do we exist? How do we live? What does this mean? The questions are not wrong. What is wrong is that their priorities were out of place and instead of praising God and getting on board with God, they question what God has done by questioning his servant Peter. So what does God want from you? What does God want from me? There are three things today. Very practical, but very important. Three things that God wants for you. I can say this assuredly, 
based on the authority of God's word, from the youngest student to the oldest adult, these are three things that God wants for you. Now, how it plays out in your life will be a little bit different, but for every man or woman, every family, every church, I know authoritatively from this passage, this is what God wants for us. This is what God wants for you next week. So if you've been wondering, what does God want for me this week? Write it down. You can write it down straight from his word that he gave, what it is he wants. Number one, first thing God wants for you this next week is God wants to deepen your trust. God wants to deepen or grow, he wants to deepen and grow your trust. It is not always easy. In fact, maybe we could say that oftentimes it is not easy to trust God because God is not a little God. He is not a small God. Our God is a God who flung this world into existence. Our God is not a little God. Our God is a God who uh, called out uh, to Moses from a burning bush. Our God is a God who took one on the backside of the desert and led him to lead an entire people out of Egypt. Our God is not a small God. Our God is the God who said to Joshua, when you get to the Jordan River, when the priests step out, they had to step out on faith first. When they step out in faith and they place their feet in the water, then I will part the waters. Our God is not a small God. Our God is the God who took Gideon and just a very small group of men and defeated the mighty nations that had come against Israel. Our God's not a small God. Our God is the God of David who brings down giants and removes kings so that the will of God can be done. Our God is not a small God. Our God is a God who is so great that he did the unthinkable. He came as his son Jesus came and humbled himself. Our God's not small. He humbled himself, came off his throne, such a powerful God that he left his power aside, laid it aside, and in his weakness bore in his flesh the sins of the world and died for you so that you would not have to go to hell, but you could go to heaven. We do not serve a small God. He's not a small God. And so when he asks us to do things, it's often hard. It's hard because we are finite beings and we are weak. And in our flesh, it is hard. But God's Spirit empowers us to do the impossible. You know what God wants to do? He wants to do a hard thing in your life. He wants to take your weak flesh. And he's placed that Spirit there. And He has saved you. And now our God is doing a big thing. He's in the process of growing you and sanctifying you and deepening you. And He is deepening your trust in Him. And to do that, God's going to lead you in some big places. God's going to lead you in some hard places. And boy, you know, the world does not work in a way that encourages uh, men and women to live together as a Christian families as God would want. So families, you're going to have to do some hard things. You need to understand that. Do some hard things. And young people, listen, man, the, the tone of the world is all about what they really, really want. It's not about what God wants. And so it's not going to be easy. But if you believe God can do the impossible, say amen. What he wants to do is deepen your trust. He wants to deepen it. And so look at verse 12 again there, all right? Look at verse 12. Spirit bade me. The Spirit commanded me, he said, to go with them and doubt nothing. God gave the Holy Spirit to confirm the vision that Peter had already had. One of the things that the Holy Spirit does in your life is confirm the hard things of God. There are things we read in Scripture for how we're to live, how we're to act, how we're to be around others, and we say, I cannot do that. I cannot do that. There's, there's no way I can control my tongue. 
There's no way I can control my sexual desires. No, there, there, there's no way that I can control my anger. Lord, there, there's no way that I can love that person. God, those are big things, hard things. There's no way. There's no way as church leadership that we can, instead of operating from fear, that we can step out and operate. What, what does God want us to do? Start from there instead of being afraid. We can't do that because we're afraid as a pastor, man. Oh, as a pastor, well, I don't know. What, what about this person or that? Or what about, listen, God calls us to do big things to deepen our trust. And you know one thing God does? is Sometimes we read things in the Word of God, they're hard. It's hard to obey them and do them. But just like Peter got a vision that was very hard, sometimes the Word of God is hard. But the same Holy Spirit that confirmed to Peter, this is what you need to do when you run up against hard things in Scripture, when you run up against them, that same spirit, if you're a believer, will begin to confirm in you, I know this is hard, but this is what God wants you to do. I know this is hard, but the Holy Spirit will confirm, but this is who God is. I know it's hard to strive to live in the holiness of this holy God. I know it's hard to love like he does. I know it's hard to exercise wisdom as our God is wisdom because our world is so unwise. But the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit speaks and the Holy Spirit confirms, no, 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 no. Don't do what that flesh desires. Do what God desires. So this same Holy Spirit that confirmed his vision confirms in our heart when we read the word of God, this is what God wants and you need to do it. Now, some things, it's just easy to doubt. Guys, help me move this table over real quick. I'm going I'm to give you an illustration today, all right? We don't do this very often. I'm going to give you a live illustration. Some things are hard to doubt. You know, hard, hard to believe and hard to obey and hard, hard to think that's true. And boy, Saturday... Uh, I had a moment of doubt, big moment of doubt Saturday. I'm at right there. That's great. Thank you, guys. And uh, Saturday had a big moment of doubt. So it's Saturday, and uh, Saturday we got up about 5 o'clock. Me and Ethan did. Me and Ethan were watching uh, old Zorro movies from the 30s, you know, early Saturday morning. We're watching Zorro together and having, having a great time watching Zorro. And we watch all that, and then me and, me and Big E decide, well, we need to get something to eat. And by that point, Laura had gotten up. We need something to eat. So I went. And I got the Rice Krispies. There's a hole down there, but I got the Rice Krispies out. It's only one problem when I got the Rice Krispies. Now, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, an, I'm overweight, okay? And that's all that was in there. Now, I knew that was not going to get the job done. So I said to Laura, I said, Laura, I can't, I can't uh, do that. I, I can't, that's not, that's not going to work. And, and Laura said, well, keep, you know, keep looking in the cabinet. And I kept looking, and there's something I'd never seen before. It was brand new. Right? They didn't have, they'd never seen Gentiles get saved before. That, that's big important. I had a real small thing Saturday. I had never seen before in our cabinet, I had never seen before frosted Krispies. Frosted, all right. But I began to doubt. And I looked back over at Laura. She confirmed this. I looked at her. And I said, why did you buy a box of frosted Krispies? Why didn't you just get another box of Rice Krispies? Because that's what I eat, and that's what I like, and that's what I'm used to. In fact, let me just show you the correct way to eat Rice Krispies. I've done it my whole life, okay? Now, let me show you. Just, this is going to be real quick, but I want you to stay with me because there's, there's an application coming. Now, the right way to do Rice Krispies, this is how I do it, all right? Now, my mom used to do it this way. My mom used to, I'm just going to use my hand here because I'm not going to actually eat it. My mom used to put the Rice Krispies in, and then my mom would get the milk, and my mom would pour some milk in there. You guys see that? Everybody see that? Pour some milk in. And that was, and I, you know, and I ate that as a kid and I enjoyed it. And then I don't know, maybe 10 or 11 or 12 years old, I went to somebody's house and they did something my mom had never done before and it, it changed my world. 
I went to a friend's house one time, and their mom went and got the sugar out, and she got the sugar. Amen. Yes, sir. And she put a little sugar in. I thought that's awesome. I mean, it changed my life. And then, uh, and then I, and then I moved into my own place, my own house, and I and I learned like the right way to do it is like that, <laughs> like that. That's how you right. That's how you. That's how you eat a bowl of Rice Krispies. I mean, that's how you do it. So I'm looking at Laura. This is she can confirm. I looked at Laura. and I said, I can't. They don't know how much sugar I want. They don't know. And she said, Well, I just thought. She goes, I just thought that it would be easier to not have to fool with getting the sugar out in the morning and putting your Rice Krispies. It's already on there for you. It's easier and it's better that way. And she could tell you, I looked at her like she had lost her mind yesterday morning. But I only had a little bit, you know, only had a little bit, so I thought, well, that's not going to work. So, and I won't demonstrate all this, but I, I tried this. I tried this yesterday. And, I, and, and, and men, whether you're dating or whether you've ever dated before or whether you're married, men, can we just admit something? Don't you hate it? Don't you hate it when they're right? If you hate it, give a weak amen. <laughs> Aaron's afraid. Aaron just kind of lifted his hand up. He's like, I'm not going to amen, but if I lift this hand, Brooklyn can't see it. I took two bites, and I was like, this is good. Like, this is really, really good. All right, guys, move this back, move this back over there for me, all right? I tried it, and, and I was like, that, those Rice Krispies are really good. You can cover it up when you get over there because some of these people hadn't ate yet, and I know they won't focus again until. And so uh, I, I ate it, and it was good. And this is true. I, I took three or four bites, and I looked at Laura, and she was sitting across the table from me. I looked at Laura, and I said, you're right. You're right. That's really, really good, and I shouldn't have doubted you. The Frosted Krispies, they, they taste pretty good, too, and I could eat that. Now, the fact is... That's a small thing, very insignificant thing, does not matter. But I doubted I didn't have faith. And boy, let me tell you, if we doubt with small things, and if we struggle with small things, some of you obeying the Word of God, being faithful to the Word of God, is not easy for you. It does not come natural to you. And you find it very, very hard. And so there is faith, but we have a weakness, and it's called doubt. And oh, we doubt the things of God. And we doubt the word of God. But God in his goodness has sent his word. And he has sent his spirit to confirm or to build you up to where you can obey that word. So three things God wants from you this week. Number one, he wants to deepen your trust. He wants to deepen that. But you've got to have faith. You've got to believe. You've got to, when you read this word, listen, some of you didn't want to get up and come to church today. You didn't want to get up. You thought, man, I don't know. I got too much going on. There's, I'm tired. I worked yesterday. I, I, but you knew God's word says you need to be with those believers because you're going to encourage them by being there. Voice and encouragement when you're here. And, and God said, I need you to be there to encourage somebody today. You also knew you needed to come so that you would be encouraged as well. Some of you this week, I don't know what it is, but I know God, he's a big God. He's going to do something that's going to deepen your trust, but you're going to have to have faith and not doubt. Second thing God wants, he wants to deepen their trust, and he's going to have to deepen Peter's trust, and so he sends that spirit to help Peter to trust, to obey what God told him to do in the vision. God wants to deepen your trust this week. Second thing he wants to do, God wants to expand your witness. I, does God want you to have a new car? Don't know. Does God want you to have a new house, bigger house? Don't know. 
Uh, does God want you to get into the most prestigious school? Don't know. Does God want you to be with the most wealthy person, the most beautiful person? Probably not. Probably not. The truth is, there are a lot of things I don't know about what God wants for you, but I know this. I know that God wants every person that has been saved and sealed with the Holy Spirit, He wants every one of you, He wants your witness to expand. For those that you can reach with the gospel to expand. Look at verse 12 again, look at it. It says, the Spirit bade me go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered in the man's house. He showed us how he had seen an angel. Cornelius showed them that he had seen a messenger from God in the house, which stood and said unto him, send men to Joppa, and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who shall tell you, he said, go get Peter, and when he comes, he'll tell you words, whereby you and all your house shall be saved. And as I began to speak, Peter said, the Holy Ghost fell on them, as on us at the beginning. You know, we celebrated Easter last week. We celebrated and we rejoiced in the resurrection. But what about the rest of the year? The Sunday after Easter is always interesting. Because uh, there's always, and, and, and boy, I'm, I'm, I'm glad for everybody that comes on Easter. And I want to celebrate that. But then there are those, you know, that after Easter, okay, I did my little bit for God. I did my little responsibility, and, and, and it doesn't have to be this church, but there's some people, they, they, never, they never again, they don't have time for God anymore. They hear what His Word says so they can be moved by the Spirit to obey. What did Jesus tell His disciples after the resurrection? We celebrated the resurrection last week, Easter. What did God tell the disciples right before He ascended to the Father's right hand? Show it up on the screen, Brother Rick. What did, what did, what did the Lord say? The Lord, right before he went back to be with the Father, said, You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me, both in Jerusalem. You're going to witness for me right there where you're at in Jerusalem. And then you're going to spread out to Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is what Jesus has saved you to be. He has saved you from hell. And he has saved you to be his witnesses. The kingdom of God is an expanding kingdom, an expanding kingdom of people. And we are the ambassadors. We are the disciples who go and we tell others. We invite them to come and be a part of the kingdom. We tell them. We tell them. We, we implore them. You need to join this kingdom before the day of judgment is coming. Because the king will return. He will return. And for those that have rejected the message. For those that have chosen to remain in the bondage of sin and their own pride. They'll be outside the kingdom forever. But we are the ambassadors that give the invitation, the good news to come and to be saved and to be a part of God's family. Boy, that was a great song to sing today. If you're glad you're part of the family, say amen. We get to invite others to be a part of the family. So I don't know all it is that God wants for you. But I know this week that for every believer in this room, God wants to deepen your trust and he wants to expand your witness now, Peter had a lot working against him, didn't he? I mean, Peter had a lot working against him to ever witness to Cornelius. Peter's religious past forbid him from even going into the man's house. But God expanded Peter's faith in what God could do. God expanded Peter's faith in what God could do through him. You know, there's a lot working against you this week. It really is. There's a lot working against you sharing with somebody else who Jesus is and what he's done. 
sin is actively, not passively, sin is actively working against you, growing in your faith and sharing the good news of Jesus. The sinfulness of others and your own sin will work to hinder you. Your schedule might work against you. You've already got it all filled in and when that moment of time and witness comes, you might be too busy focused on the schedule as opposed to what God really wants from you. Busyness can keep you from doing what God wants most. To proclaim the freedom of Christ to those in bondage, the adversary, the Hasatan, Satan, the devil. He is doing everything he can to decrease your witness. He'll be working against you this week through his kingdom. But God, but God has defeated sin that works against you. And God has defeated the devil. And God crushes the pride of all who come to the cross. He crushes the pride and gives us a new life. You see, God has sent you. And he has sent you to expand his kingdom through being his ambassador and telling others of Jesus. The political world cannot do this. Social structures they cannot do it. They cannot look through the history of the world at what has happened when men have thought they've put the most perfect structures together. It's not long till they crumble and fall apart, till they fade away. Don't look to the politicians. Don't, don't look to them. Proclaim the kingdom. It was not given to politicians. It was not given to social structures. It was given to Jews who had nothing and they were told, just go and tell everybody. Doesn't matter their religion. Doesn't matter their race. Doesn't matter their background. You are now to see everybody through the lens of they're either part of the kingdom of God or they need to be part of the kingdom of God. You must go and tell. Amen? You must. If you don't go and tell, who will? So the Bible says, See, some of you this week, you've already got the agenda planned. You've already got it all worked out. You're depending and counting on someone else to go and tell. But if you don't tell, who will? And don't get me wrong, God will raise up another. God will raise up another to speak out against the sin of the world. God will raise up another who will go and tell. I don't doubt that. But do you understand what you are missing out on when you choose to not go and tell? So my friends, I'm glad you came to Easter Sunday. And I'm glad you came today. But I think the question is for every person in this room, who this week? Will you go and tell? Brother Connor works at the gym. He told me about a month ago about a young man that he's been witnessing to at the gym. That he then invited to do a Bible study with him, just one-on-one -on -one to do a Bible study with him. Has he done it yet? He hasn't done it yet, but can I tell you today, don't quit. Because if you don't tell him, who will tell him? Who? Who will tell him? But see, it's not just for the young. It's not just for him. There'll be somebody in a class at high school. Somebody in a class at tech. There'll be some, now, it's a little different in a doctor's office. 
doctor's office, you can be, come across real abrasive and push them off real quick. But you know, you, you can look at somebody at the doctor's office sometime and make small talk. And in the midst of that small talk, you can look at somebody and say, you know, I got this physical issue going on. But I'm going to tell you today, I, I've got it and it, it's bothering me. But you can say in a doctor's office, you, you can in that small talk, you can say, but you know what, as much as this is bothering me, I've got one greater in my life and his name is Jesus. That's expanding the witness. That's expanding the kingdom. I say this again. I've said it many times because I think it needs to be said. I don't depend on the school system, that structure, that social structure of public schools. I do not in any way depend upon it to disciple my kids to be Christians. I, I don't. Don't do that. But I'm going to tell you something. Within that structure that society's put in place, can I tell you, I've praised many times, I'm going to keep doing it. Can I tell you, every time my son comes home from all good schools and has a teacher that was not afraid to tell them about Jesus, I'm going to praise that one for doing what had to be done to tell kids about Jesus, even within that structure that's crumbling, that's falling apart. I mean, education is falling apart. There's no question about it. That used to be one of the prides of our land, our public education, and it is just, and nobody can agree on what to do. And this is what I'd say, yeah, that structure is crumbling. But in the midst of that structure, I can tell you, my son right now has a teacher that she has not been afraid in ways that she could do it to make, I mean, when they were teaching Greek mythology, this still, I just praise God for this, teaching Greek mythology, which you learn in school, and she just flat out told him the class, now we know this is all make-believe, there's only one God. The structure couldn't tell my son that. Because what humans make fall apart, it's not the eternal kingdom. But we should strive. We strive to put in place good things. But my friends, when good things fall, don't, don't, just, don't just lament the falling. Be the one that stands in the gap, that looks out and tells somebody, listen, listen, I want, I want you to know, Jesus still saves. Still saves. So when there are politicians that stand for truth, and there are still some, when there are commentators that still speak the truth, when there are those in our structures that don't last who in the midst of that spread the good news, they are expanding the kingdom of God. And I will praise that because God wants to deepen your trust, but it's not just somebody else's witness he wants to expand. He wants to expand your witness. And then thirdly, this week, what does he want? He wants to deepen your trust. He wants to expand your witness. But thirdly, he wants to change your future. You believe that today that God can change your future? If you believe that, say amen. But you doubt, don't you? You doubt. God wants to change your future. God changed Peter's future. He changed the future of the Jewish Christians. He changed the future of Cornelius and the Gentile people in light of God's power. Why does God work this way? God, why does God work through the weak and not the things that we would call the strong? Why does he work? through one man being obedient to speak the truth. Why does God do this? Look at what Peter proclaims in verse 17. This is the key. This is the key. For as much or because or when God gave them the like gift as he did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I? What was I that I could withstand God? He had his whole ethnic heritage, 
He had his whole Jewish background. He had all of society working against him. But when it was asked, how could this happen? Peter had a simple answer. Who, who was I going to be to withstand God? You see, Peter understood the priority. He understood it begins with God. And then we let God answer the questions and show us how to move forward. You know, last week we, in our nation, uh, we remembered the 50th anniversary of uh, Martin Luther King. He's a fallible man, fallen man, just like Billy Graham who died a couple weeks before him. But you know, one thing about him is that everybody can agree he changed the world. He changed the world. In fact, he changed the world so much that uh, my dad, who played basketball in school, he only played with white kids. Only played with white kids. And it wasn't just MLK, but one man who just said, you know, this really, this isn't going to work. There's all this pressure, all this tension in society. It's going to explode. It's going to blow up. Something's got to change. And one man, and there were others, just like it's not just Peter, really, there are others. One guy said, this is not going to work. And now my son, every week, well, it started for my son. My dad, who never played basketball in high school, he just played with white kids because the black kids were in another school there in Florida. When I was a kid, my dad, who grew up not playing with black kids, see, where we live right over there, we didn't live in the projects, but it was close by. And I remember this little kid named Robbie living in the projects. When I was a little kid, I was playing basketball with him. With him. And every week when my kids play, whether Randall's over there coaching or whether it's something I'm doing in this church, in this church every week there are white kids and black kids that are playing basketball together because somebody like that man said, this has got to change. You know, it's going to get good and bad. Good and bad, good and bad. But can I tell you something? In the kingdom of God, we are really are one family. Amen? Amen. You look to the social structures, they'll come and go. You look to the politicians, they'll come and go. If you look for somebody else to tell, you'll miss your opportunity. Peter just said, who am I to withstand what God is doing? greatest change came to Cornelius that day. Cornelius heard the gospel. And Cornelius was saved by Jesus. And he received the Holy Spirit. You know, this, um, this morning, some of you have a song in your heart, but it's the wrong song. Some of you are singing that song, What I Want, What I Really, Really Want. And that is the song of your life, What You Really, Really Want. You know, today you need a new song. You need a new song that says what God really wants. What God really, really wants for me. If you've never been saved, God wants you to be saved today. God wants you to make your life become a new song to him a new song that says I'm not living for me anymore I'm going to live for the Lord I'm, I'm going to believe that Jesus died for me and that he can change me
give His Holy Spirit to me. That's what He wants for you. Some of you today, you've been saved. But you know, that's that, that, that Spice Girls song, like I said, it'd get in your head. It'd get in your head. And even though I didn't even like the song, I didn't even like the song, but it would get in there and it would stick in your brain and, and, and it doesn't go away. Some of you have been saved and you've got a new song, but the devil, sin, your own mistakes, they're planted another song in you and there's this competing thing going on and it's described different ways in the Bible. The old man, the new man, the spirit and the flesh, faith and doubt. You've got a new song, but there's also another song that's been calling to you and speaking to you. And this week you haven't been listening. But there was a man named Jesus who died for you and who saved you. And this man, Jesus, gave you his spirit. And today, the Holy Spirit, you've got this other song of sin stuck in your mind. You've got this other song of doubt stuck in your mind. But this man, Jesus, his song is there. And his word confirms and his spirit has confirmed to you today that that song of sin that is stuck in your mind that's not your song. And so today, there, there are those in this room that need to be saved. But the truth is, there's a lot more Christians in this room today that need to remember that God wants to deepen your faith. He wants to expand your witness. And He wants to change your future now. You stand with me this morning. Father God, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you died for us. Father God, thank you that there is a Holy Spirit. And Lord, I'm so thankful for every person here, but Father God, I ask right now, this little moment of time, Lord, if there's a man or a woman, if there's a couple, if there's a husband and wife, if there's a single person, a young person or an old person, Lord, they know the sin that's been singing to them. And Lord, they know today that they need to repent of that sin, that they need to allow your song to be their song. Father God, I ask that they would come in prayer, they would come in faith. Father God, I ask for the one that is unsaved today, Lord, they need what Cornelius got. They, they need it right now. Lord, they need what Peter got. They need what the Jerusalem believers had. Lord, they need to be saved. It doesn't matter their ethnic background or their heritage or where they come from. The ground is level at the cross. Lord, they need to come. So, Father God, I ask that you just use this time. Lord, if there are those who want to come, who need to come, who feel that tug of the Spirit, Father God, give them the freedom to do that. And Lord, we will praise you today in Jesus' name. Listen, you need that relationship deep and expanded, witness of future change? You come in prayer as we sing this morning. Brother Cecil, what number are we going to sing?